I appreciate it. I, I want you to know that I have been uh, inspired by so many. I want to thank Gracie and Jimmy and Christian and Orlando and all the, all the band that was up here uh, for leading us to this place. And uh, before I start, let, let's just uh, spout for a word of prayer. Come Holy Spirit into this place. You have guided us and blessed us with so much. And we offer our, our offerings to you as we lift our voices to you, as we give our gifts to you. And Lord, I just ask your blessing upon the gifts of the band, upon the word that's brought. May these be, may this be your story. It is my story and it is your story and we share it together. May others catch a glimpse of you this day. And may all our stories allow others to find you in a powerful and special way. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am, uh, Gracie and I were talking earlier, and I, I told her I may use this stool. Mike, is that okay if I use your stool? I, 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 have, uh, uh, I have shoes on, and this, this stage may end up a tap dancing lesson, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest. Plus, I'm getting, I'm getting a little older. I, I am amazed. I, I was thrilled uh, with everybody that comes together to make a worship service happen. Um, I, I was no, I remembered last week, my, some of my staff were going out of town and we sat there in, in staff meeting and just sort of said, okay, tell us everything you do because there's so much that goes into what, what happens. And I remember here, uh, I walked in and Bill Beck and I were in the back and we were trying to figure out, okay, will we turn on this? Do we turn on that? And Carter came in and we were making sure all the switches were there. I want you to know Jimmy, Jimmy's, Jimmy's presence is in this place even though he's in Philadelphia right now. He, we, we had him on the phone. He, he, there's so much that goes into it, all the switches that happen. And I'm just amazed. I was blown away with Jimmy when, when he was first here because he, uh, uh, I watched him. It was the middle of the week, and he is running underneath the stage and through something else and catching it back. And when I first got here about a year ago, y'all were chasing feedback demons and, and cycle cycle gremlins and it was just amazing what he was making happen in the band and it sounds it, it just sounds incredible now uh for him he does so much and he does so much for the youth too i want to encourage you november 4th is not just going to be a youth event and jimmy's going to hold up the banner out there at the community center but that's a whole community-wide event uh i talked with one of uh, jimmy turned me on to the city official and i was i was having a meeting with him and and it was amazing because uh, I, I said okay our youth are coming out and she said yeah i said but i've got people some people who can push a lawnmower, she said, if they can push a lawnmower, we'll have them out there. If, if they can bend down and pick up trash, we got stuff for them. If they can't bend down and pick up trash, we got, we're going to have assignments for them. And Jimmy, Jimmy helped rotate rope all the, that into us. So I want to encourage you all to come out on the 4th to, to be the hands and feet of Christ as we go off and do that. Um, it's just, a, it's really special. You know, we are, we are each uniquely and wonderfully made we are unique creations, and Christ has made us that. And, and each of us has a unique story to tell. Um, and I am I'm blown away by that. Jesus calls us to make disciples. And when he, when he calls us to make disciples, it's not just one of those things, like Eric said, you, the street corner evangelism doesn't, doesn't work. It didn't have a great track record. It involves relationships. The Great Commission is go and make disciples, but Jesus broke it down even more. He said, go and baptize them and teach them everything I have taught you. If we can take all of what Jesus has taught us and distill that into a 30-minute se session, we're really good. It takes building a relationship. And Jesus was all about building relationships. 
It was important. The instructions to his disciples were, you know, go out two by two. And wherever you feel welcome, wherever you're called and to go, go and, and be there and share the gospel and share your story. And if you're not, if you're not received, well, shake the, shake the sand from your sandals and move on. Um, Paul, the greatest evangelist, was like that too. Paul, Paul shared a, a wonderful story. He, he had great principles about, the, uh, about how to evangelize and, and really men, principles of how to live life to its fullest. Uh, if you look at the beginning of his letters, he was all about relationships too. He named names. He thanked people like Priscilla and Aquila to, to, for helping him and doing all that he had. And Paul shared these guiding principles. And one of them is one that has really struck out to me. And that's from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through 33. Um, oh, there it is. So whether you eat or, or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to, to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Um, I had a friend who lived by that uh, principle, and he shared it with me, and it quickly became one of my favorite verses because he shared how much that was. Uh, Ken and I went to high school together, uh, and it quickly became a, a wonderful friendship that, that guided me back in a lot of ways. Uh, Ken showed me that this, this shared that there is nothing so small in your life that can't be done for the glory of God. Whether you're eating or sleeping or drinking or going to school or working or taking out the trash, do it all for the glory of God. And in that same way, don't seek out your own good, but realize that you do this for the good of many because we're all interconnected. God has us wired that way. We're in relationship with each other. We have a, a story to share and, and a good news to give to each other. Uh, each of our stories is vital in the sharing of God's great story in this world. And Erica's right, stories connect us. They're powerful. Um, you know, Operation Christmas Child is a wonderful thing, but it, is, it's, it hits your heart when you find somebody and you know somebody and you come across someone who's, who's been there and been a part of it. Uh, I, was raised, uh, I was raised in an upper middle class uh, neighborhood on the west side of Houston called, uh, called Thornwood over by Memorial and Eldridge. I was on the eastern edge of the Katy School District. I grew up at Memorial Drive United Methodist, and um, uh, that was my church. It was a couple thousand people, about eight, um, and I went to church there. My parents took me there. We did all the right things. I was a kid of the 70s and 80s. You know, we, my parents tried to provide everything they could for us. Nice house, the car, family vacations, if I wanted to play football or if I wanted to be in scouts, they would do whatever they could to make sure that's what we had going on and we could do that because they wanted us to be the best we could be and be a success. And, and, and I wanted very much to please them. Um, we went to church. I grew up there. I, I went to Sunday school, did confirmation, was an acolyte, you know, helped out in worship and did that kind of stuff. Um, and I got to junior high youth group. Now, junior high youth group there was about 250 strong. And I, like I said, I grew up on the eastern edge of the Katy School District. So most of the youth that were in youth group in my age were from either HISD or Spring Branch in Independent School District. I didn't know anybody there. And I 
would try, but I kind of got lost in the numbers. No relationship, no connection. And in that way, I kind of dropped out. And in some ways, I dropped out all the way out of church, out of, out of life. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't much there. I disconnected from God. I really didn't catch it because I didn't have any connection to it anymore. My parents and I would go to church every once in a while, but that was about it. But then my senior year, my, my freshman year in high school, I went to Strake Jesuit. I got accepted to Strake Jesuit College Prep. Uh, it's an all-guys school for, run by Jesuit priests. Now, I went there for academic excellence because we wanted to do the best we could, and it's private school, and I took half my college fund and said I was going to go be a part of that, and my parents helped me make those kind of decisions. And uh, they made a really big deal about the fact that I was, uh, I was Protestant. I didn't know what that meant, and that I was Methodist, and I kind of knew what that meant. I kind of had to figure out what that was. So I, I studied Wesley, but it all became a real study for me. I had to take theology classes every year. So I'd take that class, and God was not so much a faith walk as he was a study. I had to learn. It was an academic thing. Now, I went through three years of that. My, the fall of my junior year, I was in a group with my friends, and Ken was there, and Ken suddenly opened up that, you know, he was Protestant. I went, oh, really? I'm not the lone one anymore. He went, no. And he said he was United Methodist. I said, gosh, I'm United Methodist. At least I think I am. And then he said, wait a minute. Uh, I said, what church do you go to? He said, Memorial Drive, United Methodist. And I said, really? And I'm freaking out. I'm like, okay, there's somebody else there that doesn't go to Spring Branch or Stratford or Westchester or, or Lee. Uh, I, I might be able to go back. And he invited me to go back to youth group with him. Um, when he did that, suddenly all those fears of, of loneliness and strangeness and all those fears that I had before kind of flooded back in and I wasn't really used to it. But this time, Ken, Ken was going to be there. And Ken said, you know what? I'll even meet you out in the parking lot. and We'll go in together. Ken brought me back to church. In a lot of ways, Ken brought me back to God. He shared his story with me, and then we shared it together. He was a small group leader in that youth group. Now, I told you the junior high was about 250. Senior high was about 380, uh, sometimes 400 youth. But, I had, but Ken was there. There was more of a connection there. I knew Ken. Um, Ken was in leadership in the youth group, and he was that small group leader. I got to be in his small group. We really kind of gelled because we had been taking theology Monday through Friday, and so we could ask these questions and explore these things, and God was not so much of an academic anymore. It was more powerful. Ken shared the gospel with me in a very powerful way through my time with him at youth and when we walked together at school. Um, and he shared that, and it touched me, and it brought me back to God. So I got to stop right now and just sort of ask, what exactly is the gospel? I mean, is it the story of the life of Jesus? Is it some kind of track that we say? Is it something we memorize to, to give people? Uh, what is the good news that we need to share? And what I want to tell you is it's your story with Jesus' story and your connection with Jesus. Now, I sat there and went, mine's not that interesting. They are interesting because stories connect us. And Jesus has empowered you 
the, the gospel, if you want to put that up on the screen, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came to rescue us from sin, repair our relationship with God so that we can play a part in the restoration of the world. This is so powerful. You see, the gospel isn't just about giving us new life. That's what Eric talked about, was critical about last week. It's not just about giving us new life. It's about giving us a new purpose. Um, The purpose of partnering with God to restore the world, uh, that's what's desperately needed. We need that. Not not just rescue, but recovery. Uh, Not just a heavenly voice shouting, yeah, you, you screwed up. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to send my son. He's going to lift you up and everything will be better and I'll clean up the mess that you're in. That's not what's said. What's said is your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. That's, that's work to do. And I'm going to help you do it with, with you. This is not just Jesus coming down and pulling us from a burning building. This is Jesus coming down, pulling us from the burning building, cleaning the smoke out of our lungs, helping us clear away the debris of the house that we were just pulled out of, and him helping us build it back better because he's going to live in it with us. And we're going to be there together. That's the good news. That's what it means to share the gospel. It, It means when we talk about the ways that God is working with us, in us, and, and here's how God's power has been working in me. It started when I was in that parking lot with Ken. Later on, it was when I was with that youth group and I gave my life over to Christ. And I, prom- I, I acknowledged that Jesus said it was who he said he was and, and did what he said he was going to do and, and lived in me. And, and because the gospel isn't just a rescue story, it's a recovery story. My story is full of moments where Jesus restored and recovered me. It didn't just end there. The gospel started there, and it was a journey of recovery and restoration and building. I dove into recovery uh, at that point in my life, my junior year in high school. I got excited. I was involved in Bible study. I got, uh, like I said, Ken, Ken nominated me to be a small group leader of my own. Uh, now, small groups ideally are like 12 to 15 people, right? My small group was 50. I was a small group leader of 50 people. There was another youth with me. Mary, Mary was my partner, and, and we had an adult counselor, and we were the small group leaders uh, of 50. It was daunting. It was scary. It was exciting. It was thrilling, but you know what? I knew God was with me, and I knew that whatever I did, I needed to do it for the glory of God. It was the purpose behind what I was doing. Um, God asked me to get involved in the youth leadership. Now, that was part of the guiding counselor that worked with the youth director and some of the senior leadership and the the adult counselors and and helping providing everything from mission trips to whatever. It was really powerful. Um, And then my senior year, the fall of my senior year, I went on a silent retreat and it was school and had a very powerful experience. And God called me to be a pastor. And I got scared. That was not what I wanted to be. That was not what I was supposed to be. I, I had been grown for success. I, I had wasted all my, all, half my college funds on, on, on high school. I knew that I needed to go and grow. And, and I felt like Jonah when God said, go to Nineveh. Uh, I did exactly what Jonah did. I ran the other way. 
I ran to the most money-oriented, socially elite school I could find that I could get into. I went to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Now, Vanderbilt is wonderful. It's like a smaller school. A lot of people, when they ask me about Vanderbilt, I say, well, it's a lot like Rice. High academic standards, a lot of rich people. We're stuck in the SEC, so we've got a football team, but it doesn't win a whole lot. Um, it's a great, it's a great school, don't get me wrong. But I went to school with, you know, uh, the people in my dorm and in, in, in our co-ed dorm, my roommate was a prince of an Arab Emirates, okay? I got to go to Kroger in a Ferrari. Uh, talk about shopping, that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I went to school with Carolyn Perot, H. Ross's daughter. That's who, that's who I went to college with. We, we had classes together. Um, there were those kind of people there. It was influenced and socially elite. It was, it was I was going to make all the right connections. I was going to do what I needed to do. And I had an Air Force ROTC scholarship, so the government was paying for it. I was good, you know? I was happy for this. And by the fall of my freshman year, I had the next 18 years of my life planned out. I had taken the officer's qualifying test. I placed out I was going to be a pilot. I had a pilot slot. I was a biomedical electrical engineer. I even had a DOD candidacy slot for that once I got, went under contract, I would fly for them, and then during my off time, I would go to medical school and then come out. I was going to intern as, on captain's pay. I mean, it would sounded really good, but I, would, I had the next 18 years of my life planned out, and none of it included God. I had run, but God has a wonderful sense of humor. It is universally huge. Vanderbilt is in Nashville, Tennessee. It is in the buckle of the Bible Belt. There are churches on every street corner. There are musicians that live there. There are people of faith that walk up and down the streets. You just don't know. Um, one night I'm walking down the street and out, out from this church, out the side door of the church, tumbling into the street, a bunch of youth and this guy, and he looks at me and he's trying to convince all of them to sing in his college student choir. And he looks at me and he says, hey, you could sing, can't you? And I looked at him like, I had just seen this person. And I, he looked awfully familiar. It was Michael W. Smith, and he's trying to get a bunch of people together to sing, okay? And he's going, you can sing. Teach these other monkeys that they can come sing in my choir too. That's the kind of craziness that went on when you were there. The, the, I had a theme song for, the, for those four years of school. The four years of my life there can best be summed up in the old gospel spiritual, and some of y'all may know this, dropkick me Jesus through the goalposts of life. Anybody ever heard that song? Eh, a couple of you, okay. Dropkick me, Jesus, through the goalposts of life, not to the left and not to the right, just put me right through those righteous uprights. And that's what God did. I would run this way and God would go, nope, and he'd pick me up and he'd dropkick me over there where I needed to be. Sometimes that kick was very painful. Um, my, the end of my sophomore year, the beginning of my junior year, um, if you knew world politics, George Bush, Herbert Walker, uh, the president at the time, realized he had way too many Air Force pilots. And I was involved in a drawdown. I lost my, I lost my pilot slot. I lost my scholarship. I lost Air Force ROTC. Um, my hopes for medical school were quickly on the ropes, and I was worried about it. And uh, I was very scared. I had worked hard to get good grades. I didn't know what I was doing. And... Uh, I was scared. Um, I still was an engineer, still was an engineer, still was trying to, to make that happen, still thought, well, okay, medical school is doable. But I lost all that other stuff. 
uh, I went on and I realized later on that engineering really wasn't what I was supposed to be doing with my life. God kept connecting me with people, though, in Nashville. I, I, I suddenly, without a scholarship, needed to find jobs to supplement my life so that I could eat peanut butter and ramen noodles. Um, and I would work at whatever job I could find. I was a bar back. I worked as a bouncer. Uh, I worked as a, a cold storage laborer. Uh, I would put on a freezer suit and walk into eight below, 18 below freezer storage and stock stuff. Uh, I was a relief truck driver driving a refrigerated rig on the weekends. Um, I did all sorts of things. I was an ice cream scoop manager uh, for a store. I, I, I ran a Ben and Jerry's ice cream store there at Vanderbilt. Uh, did all sorts of things, whatever I could do to help supplement income. I also did things where I was looking for jobs elsewhere. And my friends in the Wesley, Wesley Foundation and my friends, the Methodist chaplain and other people, they'd help find me jobs too. I was working on a Wednesday night. I would work over at First, First Presbyterian working with kids in the Wednesday night program. And shine through, my faith in God would be there. But I thought, I'm just supposed to be a good Christian. I'm just supposed to go to church. That's all I'm supposed to be. I got called in and I was asked by my pastor at Weston Methodist, I, we want you to help be a, a volunteer counselor for our youth group on Sunday nights. So I did that, thought about it, till I got too close to what God was asking me to do and somebody would come up to me and say, man, you really got gifts. You, you need to be a pastor. And I went, mm, no, thanks. And I'd run away. And then God would drop kick me somewhere else. Um, it was my, uh, I ended up, Realizing engineering wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. I was good at it. I just, it wasn't what I was wanting to do. God kept working on me. He kept beating on me. I realized that I, my electives were what I really enjoyed doing. I was really good at psychology and I was good at economics. And I thought, okay, that's what I'll do. And I transferred schools and, and went into the College of Arts and Science and thought, well, I can still do, do medical. Um, finally, my, it was my last semester there it was my fall semester. Uh, I couldn't, I just couldn't take it anymore. God had been hounding me and hounding me and hounding me. And I was trying to study for my final test before Thanksgiving break. Um, and I went out and I just couldn't study. So I went and took a walk. I went to West, uh, walked around and right across the street from Vanderbilt is West End Methodist. That's how close it was. I walked across the street. Uh, the sanctuary lights were on. I walked in and the door was open. I tried it. Choir had been re rehearsing. Uh, and they were finishing up their rehearsal, and one of the soloists and the organists were up in the pit. And I walked around the prayer railing and thought, oh, I'll just spend some time. I'll kneel down and just pray to God and pour out my heart and just say, you know, this is what I'm struggling with. And the soloist starts up, and they start playing Here I Am, Lord. Uh, that was a song that I used to sing in youth group. It hit me hard, you know. I, I the Lord uh, of sea and sky, I have heard my people's cry. All who dwell in dark and sin, my hand will save. Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. Uh, I, I will hold your people in my heart. Now, I'd sung that song before, but that night, hearing those words, that was a conversation between me and God. Most of the time, and, and, and what you know, Jimmy and Gracie sang, that stirs our soul. When we sing songs like that, it opens our hearts to be receptive to what God has for us. That, that was a conversation I was having with God, and it cut the feet right out from underneath me. It was powerful. Um, 
I took that and, and looked at it. I gave up my, all that extra stuff that I had going on. I, I, had, I was trying. I just sort of said, God, okay, this is it. I, I give up. Uh, God was helping all those people, all those times to help rescue and restore me, to get me to that point. Even when I was running from God, people and Sunday school and church and Bible studies and whatever it was, was helping to see that in me. And it was very powerful. Uh, um, I had no idea where I was to go. I had two job prospects, two, two more job interviews, and I also had an internship that I was in line for because I was graduating in December. Now, this is November. I'm talking about the Wednesday before Thanksgiving break, and I have this moment. Next day, I go to the Wesley chaplain, and I said, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just gave it over to God. Uh, I, I, need to, I need to talk with you. And he said, you know what? God will provide. That was not the guidance I wanted to hear. Okay, God will provide. I'm, a, I'm, on, the, I'm on a precipice. I'm on the ledge. What in the world are you telling me about? God will provide. I don't know if I can take that. And I looked to it and I said, what am I, I going to do? And I just said, you know, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God. I can't see that out far out in front of me, but it's there. And then I, I listened and I realized I needed to talk to God some more. So I made a deal with God. Here's a disclaimer, pastoral disclaimer. Do not make a deal with God. All right, God has that wonderful sense of humor. He's also very mischievous, okay? Um, I made a deal with God. I said, okay, God, I've got, I will do this. I will walk this walk. I don't know what's going on. I have questions every morning when I wake up. If I don't get answers by the time my head hits the pillow that night, I'm out of here. I will tell you that I had amazing questions. But I found a peace and a joy and an answer for those that were there in the, that time there. I didn't know what I was going to do. I flew home to my parents and I told them, okay, I said, this is crazy. This is nuts. I know I had those job offers. I, I, I'm going to turn them down because I'm going to become a pastor. That was the first time my mother was speechless in my entire life. She said nothing. I looked to my dad who was kind of reserved. He looked over at my wife, my, my mom, and looked at, at me and looked back at his, his loving wife. And then he looked back at me and he said, well, son, it's a hard life. Then they told me, you need to go talk to our pastor right now. This is Thanksgiving break. I'm talking about the week before Thanksgiving, okay? Our church had 8,000 members. We had seven pastors. They want me to go see the senior pastor, Dr. Craig. Like, I'm going to schedule that. Okay, I'd seen Dr. Craig when I was an acolyte up front and you learn to smile at him, but not talk to him because it was Dr. Craig, you know, uh, it's like the CEO of a small corporation. Um, I called, I, I called Sunday afternoon, just so happened. Dr. Craig answered the phone at the office. It was after church. And he, and I said, hey, um, I, I got this. Can I come meet with you Monday He's, uh, or sometime this week? Anytime I'm home all week. He said, you know what? Monday's good. We'll meet tomorrow morning. I went in there to meet with him, not knowing except the next step that I had. So Dr. Craig and I had this wonderful conversation, this beautiful chat. It was great. Um, I, I will tell you, it was, uh, uh, it was nice. He kind of laid out the, you know, Methodist or organized, right? Uh, he laid out the bureaucracy that was involved. Okay, I needed to meet with SPRC and 
meet with the uh, administrative council, let them endorse me. And then I'd go meet with the district superintendent. And he was laying it out. So I was seeing the steps. And I'm going, okay, well, this will help me out. I said, if I'm getting rid of those jobs, that's one thing. And I'm dumping the internship. Uh, but the, the seminaries I had been looking at only accepted in the fall. I was graduating in December. So I was going to have almost an entire year to twiddle my thumbs. I thought, well, okay, this is the bureaucracy. I'll do this and hopefully find some kind of job to take care of that. He's, he said, it just so happens that most of the people on SPRC knew you from when you were a youth. And they're meeting right before the administrative council that's meeting on Tuesday night. And I said, like, tomorrow night? And he said, yes. We'll, we'll bring you up. <laughs> I'm going, okay. So Tuesday comes, I meet with SPRC. Sure enough, most of the people in there, including were, were like counselors when I was a youth. And I, I meet them and talk with them. And they're all like, this is great. We've known it forever. We know this is what you need to do. It's wonderful. And then I go meet the administrative council. Now, SPRC was about 20 people. That's cool. I walk into a room with 385 people, the largest group I'd ever seen in my life that I'm supposed to get up and say something in front of. And here I come up with Dr. Craig. God gave me those words. It was a powerful thing. It was wonderful. I just knew I'd been endorsed by that. I went home Tuesday night. And I called the district superintendent downtown Houston, called him and said, hey, I'm supposed to meet with you. I just met with my church. He said, yeah, Dr. Craig, call me. What? Can you come on down this afternoon? I'd love to meet with you. Sure, Dr. Pfeiffer, we can meet. That was one of the weirdest Thanksgivings I had ever had, but I flew back, from Vanderbilt, or flew back to Vanderbilt knowing that I had at least a little scholarship help to a seminary I was going to be able to go to. I had the support from the United Methodist Church. It, it was pretty powerful. Um, I will tell you that God's pathway was leading me on. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. So I was still taking my test. I had a couple of days uh, to go. I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going for this. I'm doing this. I better tell those people who have offered me jobs that I can't take them. So I called them and turned down the jobs. I turned down the internship. I remember that phone call well. They were greatly disappointed. I was supposed to do some research internship at another university and they, they said, you know, well, we'll find somebody, I guess. So good luck in what you're doing. And we hung up the phone. I dropped the phone on the receiver. That's back when you had a phone that was, had a cord on it. Dropped the phone on the receiver on the wall, um, and it rang. I kid you not, the phone started ringing, and then it rang again. And I thought, this is nuts. So I picked up the phone, and I said, hello? It was the assistant dean of Vanderbilt Divinity School, one of the seminaries I'd heard about and thought about. And he said, Alex? I'm meeting with, uh, I'm having lunch with the, one of the deans of Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, can you come have lunch with us? I looked at my watch and said, do you mean like in 30 minutes? Yeah. Sure. Click, hang up the phone. God's laying out my plan and I can't see it. I'm walking by faith and God's laying it out for me. Clearly. Emory University, Candler School of Theology, was one of the few seminaries, I didn't know this, that allowed spring admission. I was going to go graduating from Vanderbilt, trucking my stuff in a U-Haul down to Atlanta. Not only did I get provisional admittance, he offered me a fellowship in graduate school. That's where it's like a partial scholarship you work for a little bit, but it was great. I was like, oh my gosh. Suddenly, things were looking a lot better. And my Christmas was a lot more powerful. My life has been like that. It's been a journey like that. 
And that journey was with others who led me. And their story was a story that helped me understand rescue and repair. And my story was a story of rescue and recovery and repair. Whatever I did, I did it for the glory of God. Whatever I do, I do for the glory of God. And I do it not for me, but the perspective is to help save others. Whatever you do, be it sleeping, eating, driving on 1093, taking out the trash, packing OCC Christmas boxes, do it all for the glory of God. It changes your perspective and your purpose because you're doing this for the glory of God, not just for yourself, but for others. And in that, you can share the gospel story with who you know. And sometimes it's just somebody like, you'll be kin to somebody else. You may have been friends with them for a while and all of a sudden you open up, hey, I go to church. You do? Where? Well, you can come to church with me. It's something that simple. It's something that powerful and it's something that life changes. Ken, Ken's a retired judge uh, here in the state of Texas. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, I, get to, I don't get to talk to him quite as much as I used to but he helped turn my life around and affect me in a powerful way. And if you ask Ken, he'd sit there and go, I really didn't do that much. But he's affected me and all the people that I've been in ministry with and shepherd for. So here's a practical thing to leave you with. What can you do to share the gospel? Real easy. Show and tell. Show and tell. That's it. Show people how Jesus has changed your life by loving like he does. And many of the people in my life showed me their love in a powerful way, showed me the gospel through what they did, not just how they did it, but for the glory of God. And then second, tell. Tell people how Jesus has changed your life by sharing your story. Your story is important. Your story is vital. It's powerful. It, it, it will show you. It all takes a, a perspective shift to think about it because you aren't doing this for you. You're doing this for the glory of God by playing your part to restore the world. And it doesn't stop there. This is a process. Keep learning the, the gospel. Keep learning and growing in your story. Keep rescuing and recovering. Let God work in your life in that rescue and recovery. The apostle Paul said, that he became a fool for Christ. What do you think God's going to do with your life? What can he do if you step out to let go and let God work in your life in a powerful way? Because if you've been changed by Jesus, then your story has the power to change others. This is what it means to share the gospel. It's a sharing with others how Jesus came to rescue you from sin to repair your relationship with God so that you can play a part with Jesus and his plan to restore the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for rescuing us from sin and fixing our, our relationship with God and, and inviting us to play a part in your plan and restore the world. God, I pray that you would continue to shape us and mold us, that you would continue to use us and let us know where you are in our lives.
And Lord, just remake our gospel story to be your story. Your blessing to be a, a blessing for the world that we may go out and, and whatever we do, we do it for the glory of you, Lord. That we go out and shape and save and, and work with you in, the, in your plan to restore and build better this world so that all may know your presence in a powerful way. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks. Thanks. Mm-hmm.